Uh, imagine that you were the emergency call handler on the receiving end of this phone call. Fire Premier Copper to 178. What's the address of the emergency? Man, we have a friend that was over here and he just did us. Damn, and he's talking this much. He's live with us right now. We don't know if he's live or not. He and the car just jumped off. Yeah, like second floor. God damn, I don't believe this shit. Okay, tell me exactly what happened. I don't know. He, we sit down the balcony. He just ran in there and started ducking this fuck. He's alive. He, he's calling right now. So I guess he's hurt. But you need to hurry and get here, man. Okay, you with the patient now? Is he there with you? Yeah, he's downstairs. He just came too right now. How old is he? Uh, I don't get the male, correct? Yeah. Is he awake? Yeah, he's just out there yelling right now. Is he breathing? He's he, he, he like the Oh, is he breathing? Is he moving air? Yeah, he's moving air. Oh, okay. That's what I'm okay. talking to right now. Why, why did he do that, sir? I don't even... That was a friend of my next guest calling for help after Wu-Tang Clan-affiliated rapper Andre Christbearer Johnson cut off his own penis with a kitchen knife and then jumped off a second-floor balcony. Uh, but why did he do it? Well, according to reports at the time, PCP, meth, molly, alcohol and no sleep. Uh, well, uh, Andre's been very candid about why he attempted to perform a vasectomy on himself before throwing himself off the balcony. Uh, and uh, I spoke to him earlier from uh, his home in Long Beach, California. And I should just say, the following interview does contain um, quite a lot of uh, rather strong language. So please be advised. Andre, welcome to the show. Welcome to Late Nights on Cape Talk. Great talking to you all the way from the United States. How are you this evening? It, it, it's, I've never been better. It is a blessing talking to you, you know, you know, all the way from the United States to South Africa. I appreciate you guys' um, interest and concern. So listen, I came across your story on the BBC a few weeks ago and I was absolutely intrigued. And while, of course, there is the sort of very uh, scandalous and, and voyeuristic nature of the story, uh, a great deal of intrigue, uh, I guess... For me, what really was interesting was the was the underlying. What would cause somebody to do uh, what it was that that you did? Um, and I think that perhaps it prompts a conversation around uh, discussions around mental health issues in in the black community, particularly among black men, uh, and the fact that so often there is so much stigma related to that. And I think that is because uh, I guess there is an impression of black men being, uh, first of all, I guess hypersexualized. Second of all. Uh, um, hyper-violenced uh, or hyper or hyper-related to 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 violence, hyper-related to masculinity, uh, and all these very negative things that have an impact on the black man and mean that um, when he's suffering with mental health issues, whether that be depression, whether that be uh, another uh, a disorder, a psychiatric illness, he may not be um, or feel as free to speak out as perhaps his white counterparts. Take us back to that day, Andre, if you will, um, where you did the most extraordinary thing. How did that day start for you? Um, well, that day was, um, I was returning from up north. I had a show up north, northern California. I had just been to Ohio, and I had just got out of jail, too, in all actuality. And, and it was because um, there was a misdemeanor uh, domestic violence case, meaning there was no violence involved, just arguing between me and the mother of my uh, daughter. And um, yeah, I had to spend a weekend in jail. And um, so um, going, coming from the show after getting out of jail and coming back to my Hollywood apartment, and I had this, you know, this domestic um, domestic violence class. I had to do like a hundred domestic violence classes. I was on probation and all these things that it, um, that I was on. And I had just got out of a domestic violence probation situation case because my my um, first wife 
there was another misdemeanor uh, charge, no violence. They, 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 but I had to do the classes. And so I just got done doing those classes and just got off uh, three years probation. Not, not, not formal probation though. I didn't have, I didn't have a probation officer because it was a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. And so I got done with that, and, and it just caused me so much um, economic grief because I couldn't leave the state to travel to do shows and things of that nature. So just, you know, I was, I was not even a year up from completing those domestic violence classes. Um, off, off the probation, I can travel in another state. That's why I came back from Ohio. And so I just got into another situation. So, like, I stepped my, you know, my foot in some more shit and I had to cut off my shoe. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and so, so coming back from all of that and doing the drugs and just sitting, that, and, and later on that night, sitting at home, because um, uh, I had I had party earlier visit too in Hollywood. You know, he was doing a movie, uh, Brick House, with Paul Walker, and so I was up in Hollywood, and I'm him and the director of the movie, Wesley Snipes, big stars, Shabo the system over down, and so just hearing all these stars with these seemingly comfortable, you know, lives, you know, economically, and then you know me having this trouble, the struggles with economics and. From the um, domestic violence classes, I had to pay for and child support for the babies I was having like haphazardly. It just, it just, all just hit hit me after I was alone. You know what I mean? High off drugs and alone. And the reality that set in was that, you know, I have three kids now, and um, I have restraining orders that came with the domestic violence misdemeanor charges. So it was just like it just seemed so insurmountable for a black man in a white man's society. To just win, you know, and, and it was just you know a bit of insanity, you know, because insanity is when you have a temporary loss of, you know, memory, you know, you know reality. So, you know, I wasn't realizing, you know, exactly who I was because I had a, you know, a pretty charmed life, but it, it just those obstacles I had to overcome. And so, what really dawned on me was that my worst fear was that um, being like my father, who was a Rolling Stone, you know, Papa was a Rolling Stone, being like my father, father any kids in L.A. and never really was in the home with any of them. And it was something I thought I would never do. So once uh, I, that, that reality was in my face off safety, it just was bananas. It was overwhelming. And then um, hanging out with my buddy John Pashante from the Red Hot Chili Peppers earlier that day also because I was taking on a lot of stars. He, uh, you know, I was reading some books. He has an extraordinary library in his home. So I was reading some books. You know, some books about Einstein, some books about monks, how monks have vasectomies and they don't have sex and they live this life of standing for sex and just perfect creatures from God. You know what I mean? And then being I call myself Christ bearer, that was always my goal to be this, you know, this just divine, pure creature just trying to do everything up and up. So I think the most life as a, as a life that I definitely admired. So once I got high and then everything set in with the, um, the father children I wasn't in Homewood and I say myself like, Whoa, I'm like my dad and then the vasectomy, you know, idea kicked in. Do I need a vasectomy? Now this is what I need as a black man to break the cycle that it seems is unbreakable. Have a have a vasectomy and at least I can stop the um ongoing process of fathering kids and not really being in the home with them because, you know, it just it's just Andre, before we get Not on to really. actually, before we get on to what actually happened, I want to, I want to sort of, um, focus a, a little bit on you. You've mentioned that you were using drugs at the time. Had, what drugs were they? And, and had you been diagnosed with any kind of psychiatric condition at that point or before, prior to, prior to what happened? Never. I've had any psychiatric, um, condition, um, diagnosis. Never, um, from you know, my family and friends never really any 
need for what Ernie signed. How so would you describe? How would you describe how you were feeling that particular evening before you did what you did? I was feeling. I was feeling pretty. Um, uh, you know, like it was you know, me against the world feeling, mm. as if there is no solution to come from my problems unless it's going to come from me. So I was really pondering the whole day of my situation of how I was going to um, get back into the lives of, you know, my children, even if I wasn't with the mothers, just having a, you know, a nice, you know, civil relationship, you know, and um, I, um, my mother had passed away a couple of years before that, surely. So I had started doing drugs, you know, heavy, you know, once, once my mother died. You know, um, most celebrities, also, you know, we all, all artists really are, are some type of addicts in America. You know, either you was an addict, you know, you're, you're, you're an addict, or, or, or you're, you're recovering. You know what I mean? Mm. So it was like, it was just one of those situations where I just kind of increased the doses, my daily doses after my mother passed away. And what and drug were you using, Andre? I was using, um, you name it, I was using um, PCP. I did some Molly. I did some, um, I was smoking tons of weed, of course, and I was drinking liquor. I'm not really a heavy liquor drinker, but I was taking some cognac or liquor at the time. And um, I think the drug that really did it, you know, for me, that really caused the, the, the situation is um, uh, meth. I had tried some meth for the first time because uh, I had this, uh, this uh, videographer that was following me around and shooting videos and filming shows and stuff like that for the from Orange County, and he did meth. And I never really tried this stuff before. I did coke, of course. So when he did the line, everyone was going to the bathroom through a line. And then he said, hey, there's a line for you in there. And I went in there, and I thought it was coke. Pure, what you get that from? Colombian pure, though. That's not coke. That's meth. I didn't know that. Oh, you should use more meth? And they're like, yeah. Well, I'm like, cool. And I did, like, four lines. But then, I, and then, and then that was, like, two days ago. You know, mm. too busy for the incident to happen. Mm, mm. And so that meth, that meth, I was I was up like never before. I could not sleep. I never was, no drug ever did that to me. I, I was not allowing myself to sleep because my mind was just going and going and going off this meth drug. That's why they have this thing called tweakers, you know, people do meths. And I didn't know I didn't know that that's where the tweakers come from because it's dead late night and you don't go to sleep. You know what I mean? So I like, got days of no rest in the drug. I was totally out of touch with reality. And Andre, we also know that with that with PCP, which is um, uh, fencilidine, I think, with PCP, it's it's also a psychedelic drug that that it can induce hallucinations. It can make people uh, act out very violently, have very aggressive actions. There is um, uh, a possibility of psychosis. So the fact that you were on what is essentially a cocktail of drugs, um, it, it, in some ways, your actions. I mean, the, the actions of cutting off your own penis are extraordinary and i don't know that any anybody regardless of drugs but the, the fact that you were in a certain state of mind is understandable bearing in mind uh, the narcotics that were in your body take us to that moment where you jump up you go to the kitchen and you take a knife what happened so um you know i was watching some cartoons and um you know like i said i just was out of touch with reality and then i said i'm gonna have a me, you know and then um with that being said, I said, I'll have a second me. First thing in the morning, I'm headed to the hospital. And something told me, yo, you know what? Why wait till tomorrow? So I jumped up and I totally fucking forgot I didn't have an MD on the, on the end of my name. And I went into the kitchen and I grabbed a steak knife 
And once I pull my pants down, I guess I, my, my thought was like, what am I doing? I don't know how to give a second. But at that then, what, what happened was I was thinking, as crazy as it sounds, I could probably chop my head off and then tie it up and then go to the doctor in the morning and have him fix it all up. And I sound crazy, but this is, this is how crazy I'm going to say I was in. You know, so I was thinking, you know what, I'm going to chop off the head, you know, and then um, that should solve the problem. This is how out of touch of reality I was. So when I went to the kitchen and then I pulled out my pants and I was going to complete the act, no one was going to stop me or they were going to probably get hurt. You know what I mean? Because I was definitely not trying to hurt anybody, but I was trying to accomplish what I was trying to accomplish, and that was um, alleviate my, my problem and the pain. So with that being said, um, I, um, I did that, and once I – Make the chop, and the blood starts squirting out everywhere. I totally sobered up like a preacher, you know, totally. And then from that sobering situation, it was like, yo, whoa, all this blood, and I was totally just like I said, out of touch reality. And it was so much blood, more blood than I've ever seen in my life. And I'm come from a, get, a ghetto where I've seen, you know, drive-by shooting, people die from bullet wounds and things of that nature and stabbing. But this was more blood than that. And so with that being said, I, um, I figured, you know, I'm gonna die. You know, I'm going to bleed to death, you know? And then once I had that thought of I'm going to bleed to death, it was like, yo, you know what? There were some fans there, too, you know? There were some fans, some people I really didn't know there because it was a party kind of atmosphere earlier. So I figured, you know what? I don't want to give these people right here the pleasure of seeing me squirm to death, you know what I mean, and, and, and suffer. So I'm just going to jump out the window and end it. And then I'm just looking at the balcony. The balcony door was open, open and thank God we're going to be two stories up because we could have been 95 stories up. It would have made a difference to me. Mm-hmm. So I ran to the balcony, jumped off the balcony, you know, and landed, you know. And uh, I was pretty much, you know, incapacitated for a minute. Then I heard the guys talking, calling ambulance and helicopters, and I woke up, and I realized, oh, my fuck, God, I'm still alive. I'm not going to bleed to death because the bleeding had subsided at that point. Mm-hmm. And I was extremely fucking, um, you know, part of my French. I was, I was extremely happy then. And I was like, yo, I'm fucking alive. Oh, I'm alive. Yo, I'm alive. And, and it dawned on me. Yo, but I chopped off my fucking dick. Throw it on my fucking dick, please. Don't leave talking my dick. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was, it was the craziest statement I ever made in my life. Because, you know, who's going to touch my thing? And then, um. Okay, I've got to ask you. So, I've got to ask you. So, you, by now, you, you've jumped off the balcony. You've, you've survived. But luckily, as you say, only, only two stories. You then are absolutely delighted that you are still alive. And you're now calling for people to go and find the head of your penis that you had previously just chopped off. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm calling for, I'm calling for my buddies upstairs to actually throw it down to me because I knew the story of John Babbitt and he was able to save his. You know, in a, in a timely manner. So I'm like, yo, throw my fucking dick down. Please throw my penis down. Somebody. And no one's going to respond. And they're like, this guy's crazy. What did he do? They're just in shock of, you know, just, I can only imagine seeing something like that happen. So I'm like, yo, throw my fucking dick down. And I'm like, yeah, you baggage, man. Oh, I'm just going to keep my dick. And I thought about it. What am I saying? No one wants to touch your dick. You know what I mean? And I'm like, yo, you know what? Dick. I'll buy a new dick. I'll buy a robotic dick. So, so, be fucking, so what did, what did fucking, happen to that bit that got chopped off? Where is that now? Did did it ever get found? Or is it just about down the yeah, back did, of somebody's sofa somewhere? It did get found. I just wanted to just put it in there, shameless plug. I do have a book that it goes into. Um, it's on Amazon, available about Andre in the words of Christ Bearer. And I would really appreciate it. Um, 
your listeners can go pick that up from you. It's yeah, for sure. It's available on. Ava- sorry, sorry, the, the time delay is causing a problem. So it's it's called the truth about Andre and the words of Christ bearer. Uh, available on Amazon, so people can just go to Amazon, uh, put that book title in by Andre Johnson, pick it up, buy it, find out exactly what happened to the head of your penis. Uh, I certainly like to know for sure. Um, the the good news is that you survived. You survived not only jumping off a balcony, but you also survived um, cutting off a part of your own penis. Um, I have to ask because people. People will want to know the question. Will want to know this. The answer to this: um, Is it still working? Are you still able to urinate? Are you still able to have sex? Is it, you know, is it still a functioning penis, or have you been compromised? No, it's still a functioning pe- penis. Um, only only compromise I've, I've, I've took it is that my stroke is not as long as the, you know what I mean. So I'm <laughs> kind of like a mini. I'm a mini stroker. I'm not. I'm not on the, the big golf golf course. I'm on a mini golf course now. But uh, with that being said, I'm still putting the ball in the hole. What I'm saying, you know. So, with that being said, um, I have a very functional life. It's very normal to me. You know, the women that I encounter, they they have not given me any complaints. No one has told me, "Hey, brother, it's not working out for me." It's been, "Hey, this it's all right." Of course, my moves now might be so glamorous as they were before, but I'm still um, definitely able to satisfy the bedroom, for lack of phrase. And um, it never really. The crazy thing about it is, it never really dawns on me what I've done until I go to the bathroom or something like that and actually have to get a piss. You know what I mean? And um and with that being said, um or 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 to um actually, you know, actually in the act of having to reveal myself to whatever lady friend that I'm with hmm. to have the actual act of sex. You know, so that's always very awkward. You know what I mean? But once um it's the act is done and then I get, you know, kudos from the woman, you know, surprisingly like, oh my fucking God, it's amazing. It's really filled. I felt that you were in there. It was good. Then, I, then, it, then, it, and then it's a normal situation. You know what I mean, it's not really um, something I really give two thoughts about. You know, really, um, as you know, it's, it's amazing what the human body can withstand. For sure, that. for sure. Amazing. But it's it's also Humans amazing. It's also amazing, Andre. I think what the human spirit can withstand. And and this takes me back to exactly. uh, the beginning of, of of the conversation where I said to you that as much as your story is fascinating, in that everyone wants to speak to the guy and find out why somebody, uh, you know, the, the gory details of somebody having cut off their own penis. However, the backstory, and I think the most important part of that is the the state of mind that you were in at the time. You sound now, as we talk now, like you are in a very positive state of mind. Um, do you find that you, uh, and I, I would guess that this is in, in your book, but do you find that now you are um, encouraging other men to speak about um, stuff that may be troubling them, if they're feeling depressed, if they're feeling uh, out of touch with reality, as, as you said, as you described, um, and, and presenting possibly with some kind of psychiatric condition, whether that be uh, depression, whether it be anxiety, whether it be something else. Um, how important is it for you that you are sharing your story with, a, with the aim of helping other men, and particularly other black men? I think it's, it's it's the most important. I think it's definitely my work I came here to do. Me naming myself Christ bearer, I knew there was going to have to be some type of sacrifice involved. Like I never, you know, I knew the job was dangerous when I took it. I never even overlooked it. So this, this is not, you know, I, I just told myself, come, come, come with me, come hell or high water, I'm going to keep on, you know, tripping on positively. And this is so, um, like I said, it, it, it's been um, it, it's been a very a blessing in disguise to say the truth because. I I I, my, I consider my life a donation to my people. And so with that being said, this is um, a calling for me, just like making music was, to really um, put emphasis on the, the the fact that 
us as black people, we, 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 we get coaches, we get, um, you know, we get trainers, we get every, we get help for everything except for mental health. You know, I mean, we don't really sit down with the, um, you know, like the Sopranos, the guy had the therapist he talked to. You know what I mean? The gangsters in our neighborhood, if we see a therapist, you're weak. You can't be a gang leader anymore. You know what I mean? But the mafioso guy, he was able to go to the, psychiat- the psychiatrist, work out, work through his problems. But in the hood, you really can't do that. And when I first was in the hospital and I seen the teens and he was everywhere and it was, you know, it was all over the news, CNN, everyone from Africa, from Asia, I knew that um, what it's going to be heavy to deal with. And then CSI and I, they had a psychiatrist to come in to speak to me. And for the first like, week, I didn't want to speak to her. But for once, she was a woman. And um, I just feel like, okay, people are going to write me off as crazy. Now I got psychiatrists. And then um, eventually, I, I just, you know, I did TMZ, particularly, and um, a couple other comedians around around the world, I'll leave nameless, you know what I mean? They, they were being very harsh. So I said, you know what, this is kind of... I needed someone to talk to. So I, I, I let her come in one day to talk to me. And surprisingly enough, ever since that day, I let her come in. My life started changing. But it's better because she was someone that was professional at her job. She was a, a masterful listener who can really um, listen and really give mastery to the conversation. You know what I mean? Because that's what we, we must do. We listen in order to learn. If we listen, it makes a good learner. So she really was able to really diagnose me because I really opened up to her like mm. I never opened up to the one mm. in the history of my life. So um, I'm a big advocate for um, psychiatric help and psychiatrists. First of all, I think, which is quacks, and I'm totally convinced they are the soul of the earth. You know. Andre, this has been absolutely incredible speaking to you. Yours is a is a fascinating story, and I think the story is so much more than just uh, that one incident, uh, which uh, had people uh, reaching for their uh, their phones, their internet, newspapers, etc., to to find out the the, the details of of that one incident. Um, I'm so glad that you've written it uh, written it all down in a book, and I'm sure that you actually serve as inspiration for uh, a number of people, men, women, black, white, um, globally, I guess, who are dealing with uh, dealing with really different difficult situations, dealing with mental health issues, uh, dealing perhaps with drug abuse, uh, and just not feeling right at any given point. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, thank you. Once again, I have the truth about Andre and Words of Christ on Amazon right now. It's kind of pricey, but it, 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 it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it because you're definitely going to get um, the God's honor. You've never heard it before. And it's like to say, the situation is much bigger than... Um, and there's just that one incident, and I give you accounts of my life from where I grew up in a downtrodden neighborhood without a father, and incidents in my life that kind of lead up. So by the time you get to the story of that night, it's, it's going to make more sense to you. Is it going to be something you're going to say, hey, I would do the same thing if I was in a situation? No, but you probably would. You definitely will get an understanding of my, um, you know, lack of it, for lack of a better phrase. You know what I mean?